So I still remember that. I'm like, what's the deal? He's like, he's hanging chads. And <laughs> we're like, okay. I didn't even care. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours. But the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50-pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer, and that since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey on our podcast episode 122 fresh cuts in the building nick yeah. i know i feel like Close i might over. No, I, I feel the wind just like grazing through my freshly cut hair here. No more man bun. The amount of sinks that are clogged from you two is uh, <laughs> tremendous. There's been a good many. Dude, my, my, this is an interesting fact about my wife and I. We shower in different showers. Like I have my, my really? own bathroom because, yeah. Intriguing. Because the shower in our master bathroom, doesn't, it has like some kind of a limiter on it where it doesn't get cold. And I take ice cold yeah, showers in our, yeah, gu- yeah. in our guest shower. Wow. So, and my guest shower looks like her shower because there's hair like plastered. Yeah, plastered. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what's going to be hard is like half of our TikTok feed is just making fun of your man bun. So I don't know where. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about the following engagement that going to drop dramatically at this <laughs> point. Over. Yeah. So, uh, well, it is. It was fun while it lasted, though. April 4th? Yeah, you've had it for kind of a while. Okay. So check this out. I'm not a big April Fool's guy. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about this? I so. <laughs> Dude, my father-in-law, like he's vi- he's brutal, like vicious with the with the April Fool's. Uh, stuff. Chuck likes a good joke. He, oh, he can take it too. He, yeah, he's he's, um, you know, he he can take it. So, but he just had a he had a stroke like yeah. a month ago. So I yeah. I kind of had to take that into account. I I somewhere I realized early in the day on the first that it was it was April Fool's because mm-hmm. I saw something and I was like. uh I was like, I gotta call Chuck. Yeah. So I called him at like seven thirty eight in the morning. Yeah. And I said, uh, I said, hey Ch- Chuck, hey. And he's like, hey, good morning. I said, hey, did you come down to the Dairy Mart last night? And he goes, no, why? And I was like, uh, it seems like the the door was kicked in and like all, all the money's gone. Like you know, we, it seems like we were robbed. And he's oh no, yeah, he just starts having like a total <laughs> breakdown. Sorry, sorry, having to pay. Like, oh, you gotta call this guy. Got into this and that, and you just gotta check this. And I told him, I said, it's also April first, so just, just call you. Jets. It was threw him into another. I almost gave another heart attack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just keeping your heart pumping, man. <laughs> just trying to yeah, keep keep you keep you pumping. Oh, well, not a lot going on. Uh, we did kill a turkey on Saturday. Harlan yeah. shot first turkey or first anything on the new uh kentucky farm how cool is that it was awesome man just walked up and uh and i had gone out i guess it was two or three mornings before then and um heard i don't know six or seven different birds probably back there and uh so we got out it was supposed to be that's when we had all that wind come through 
So it was supposed to be like super windy that morning. Woke up and it was pretty nice out and clear. And so got out there like right at daybreak, parked the truck, walked back. And I was like, all right, hey, we're going to go clear to this backfield. Like this is where I heard Just you and Harlan? Yep. Carter didn't want to go? or No, he's still sleeping. Yeah. And, 4'10"? Uh, uh, 20 gauge. Okay. Yep. And uh, we get to like the first field. I mean, we're I'm planning on going back. And I was like, ah, I'm going to hoot, you know, hoot out a little bit. And like, like right, I mean, right there. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like, huh. Then it's like Chinese fire drill, right? I mean, it's like trying to get all this shit going. I'm dumping out like decoys in the field and trying to figure out where we're going to get set up. Because I, I planned on doing it. it. Typically, I take them to a blind and stuff. And I was like, oh, we're just going to like, like explore the property. Yeah. And so, I'm getting away from blinds. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I'm trying to scatter out and uh, get everything set up, you know, call a couple times. I mean, he, he's just hammering on the, on the roost and just the one. <clears throat> yep. Sounds like just one bird. I could hear a few other birds in the distance, mm -hmm. but you know, we're only worried about him and it, you know, um, I'd sprayed, I, we've got all that broom sedge or that, you know, it's a, uh, type of blue stem warm season grass. So I've been spraying a lot of this stuff and, but I'm like, it's pretty tall where we're at. Mm. So I can barely see like my decoys in this field. And, uh, what would you have out? I had a strider and a hen uh -huh. and, uh, it's probably 15, 20 minutes. We heard, I've heard him fly down, heard him fly down. And I was like, all right, he's on the ground. Give him the old hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He didn't, and he didn't make a sound on the ground. Not a sound. Once he hit the ground, it was probably about 10 minutes. And I heard a hen and I heard, I was like, Hey, he's got hens with him. You know, that's, he, he worked up around us and I could see hens coming down this like road towards our decoys and, you know, they're nervous, they're not sure. And then I could hear him like, boom, spitting and drumming. I was like, Hey, he's, he's right behind him. Mm. And so he's, he's set up, he's on my lap with a, we just like had a little tripod stick and, uh, hens are like 10 yards from us. And I was like, Hey dude, you can't move. You know, he's seven. Like you can't move, and I look behind and you see full fan like coming. I was like, "Here he comes!" Is there behind him? He's like, "Oh my god, here he comes!" So I was like, "Just don't move, don't." And so he comes down and he sees the decoy and he comes out of strut and I was like, "You gotta, gotta shoot him." Well, I couldn't see it from my angle, but there was a branch that was like blocking him, and so he's trying to like get on that bird, mm -hmm. and the hens saw us and we're like, mm -hmm. you know, start bop, 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 alarm putting, and he's like looking around. I was like, dude, you got, I was like, he's going to go. He's going to go. And I just plowed him. Blast him. Yeah. And I ran up and <laughs> finished it. Yeah, yeah. Finished Same him. thing. This birds don't die, man. Wow. And I was like stabbing him with my knife. And yeah, that's like, exciting, yeah. man. That's just not, he shot that one with Carter, right? Twice. Like two. Yeah. So this is his first bird by himself. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, he was stoked. So it was a huge bird. We had like 24 and a half, Whoa. 10 and a half inch beard. Yeah, it was a stud. Nice hook. He picked it up. Uh, only like an inch and a quarter, but he, he picked it that up. Ain't bad. Yeah, I know. It was good. And like the bird was still like on the ground. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Behind him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, That's yeah, awesome, no, it was cool. Man. He was, he was, and it, I mean, again, like the first one on the farm, I told Skalma, I was like, yep, $400,000 turkey right there. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's already paying yeah, for it's itself. Paying for itself. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was funny because, like, even this morning, I had birds strutting out on camera there. That's so, huge, man. Yeah, and then, but most of the time out there this week, I was just spraying and getting things ready to plant corn. And um, yeah, we're talking to a farmer today. I'm on that. Uh, that we are. I'm not a farmer, so yeah, well, we're we'll see, we're learning. We'll see how much of a disaster. Yeah, as my, much as we're not planning. farmers, dude, we but we've you know every year I think <sighs> increasingly investing in like food plot seed and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I've got 12, 12 acres of beans on the way. Yeah. 
five ac- six acres of clover. Yep. And and, and eventually five brassicas. pretty quickly turning into like seven and a half acres of brassicas and so one thing and I'll all keep, the glide and lime and fertilizer. I was gonna say one thing I'll keep everybody posted on is you know I bought that um that Tar River no till drill. Yeah. And so all of the parts today are coming in for I've got two sixteen gallon tanks that I'm gonna put on the front shelf. Yeah. And then I'm gonna wire all those through a pump and then have two boomless sprayers at the end. So see if I can like actually make a one pass with deer grow or gly or whatever. But yeah, it'll be a little bit of a project. But it's about uh, go time, man. Start getting ready. I'm getting clover in on Friday, Saturday. Yeah, beans will it's be, be 85 made. degrees here tomorrow. Holy crap! 85. Wow. What the hell's wrong with this? Uh, it's like just snowing like a week ago. I'll take it, Nick. You look like a freshly shaven sheep. Yeah, I also got a new <laughs> I like razor. Over at you. you got a new razor too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I had one for like four years. Finally, shut the bed. I got the, uh, yeah. the you take old the, one blade. You'll take, get you'll get tetanus from that. <laughs> take take the toilet paper off your face right before you walk in here. Is that, is that why you're late? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways. all right. Well, you mentioned already f- farmer. You know, farming, and we're talking Iowa today. Uh, I, I I don't want it at all to turn into like a bitch fest a bitch fest or, you know or, or like <laughs> it you know, just seem like we're complaining but um we've uh the, the guest that we're having on today has hunted a lot of different states has mm-hmm. settled in iowa uh, <laughs> yep. debatably the best part of it uh and i think has kept a, a pretty watchful eye on uh you know the legislation as it's happened over you know mm-hmm. the years that he's been residing there and uh you know if you listen to any of our podcasts you know that comes up pretty frequently you know our concerns with um what's the it's a huge it is the one thing that makes the greatest impact landscape wide in a state is those state regulations. Yeah. Um, Regulating the resource. I mean, do we, we talked the other day, I was almost kind of like upset that people, you know, you know, bash or, bl- or blame or get mad at people for promoting hunting, which yeah. like is like the dumbest thing in the world. It's like you, you get people get mad at the hunting public for like promoting turkey hunting. And then sure. because that leads to. Yeah. People, they, yeah. It's been huge. They've been blaming them for decreasing turkey or anybody. You know, states. us for talking about it on a podcast or any you know any promotion of hunting. And I just think that's the to, the total wrong approach. I I think that if you should be mad uh, at anything, it's it's not that you should be mad at the state, but it, we could we could all be mad together about like a, a lack of uh, adaptation to like these new regulations, mm-hmm. these new methods of hunting that have been introduced um, to to regulate it to, to regulate the way that. Uh, those game species are hunted and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, ultimately, it, it is the state that's making those decisions. And however, we can impact those as, as hunters and sportsmen is well. A lot of our TBD. Com- yeah, a lot of our community, unfortunately, and we we saw this on some of the discussions we had for regulation uh, are are anti-regulation, right? They're like, you know, that's right. all we need is more regulation from the government. the The fact is, is that when you talk about wildlife populations, re- regulation is a must. It, you know, if it's not, con- it's conservation. If you if you didn't, you have complete anarchy, and there will be no resource left, right? Yeah. So you you can bitch about the fact that, well, you know, here's more people wanting more government regulation. It's like, okay, take it away. You have no resource left, right? Right? You can't just go out there and shoot deer with a rifle whenever you feel like it. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, you know. And if it did, there would be no more deer. They'd be gone. Yeah. So you know, there are things in place in different states that provide opportunity <clears throat> and have a conservation focus. But, you know, we've talked about this back and forth. Opportunity isn't always great, um, at least in terms of the hunting community, the dynamic of the hunting community, and, you know, essentially trying to create a healthier wildlife population. And 
So Skip Sly is on today from Iowa to talk to us about um, some of the things that are happening in Iowa, but also just to talk a little bit of kind of what Skip has seen here in the last 30 years, you know, hunting a bunch of different states and regulations. You know, he mentioned pre-podcast, he, he started in Michigan, which obviously is one of the most, you know, hunter-dense states uh, in the country from a whitetail standpoint. And, you know, much like I remember, you know, he was hunting one-year-old bucks. Like that's, I mean, shit, you saw a two-year-old buck rack, and you, thought, bucks. It, you saw it was, thought it was a freaking giant, yeah. you know? I was just looking for three-inch spikes. Um, and, I mean, to where we are now, uh, even in a state like Pennsylvania and probably Michigan, you know, we've, we've evolved to where, you know, people are killing mature bucks in these states and big bucks in these states. But there's also states um, like Kansas and Illinois uh, and Missouri that I think have maybe taken steps back from their heyday. Right? And so you've got kind of this one state left over there, Iowa, that seems to still be the whitetail mecca. Um, and maybe you'll hear people say that maybe, it, you know, it's not what it used to be. And I'll, it'll be interesting to get Skip's take on that. But, you know, ultimately, out of all the states that we have to hunt, you know, Iowa is still the whitetail mecca. It's what everybody who wants to kill a big whitetail looks at and says, can't wait to hunt Iowa. Yeah. So, you know. Are there things now on the table that could endanger that for future generations? So we're going to talk to Skip about today. What's up, man? Bring him in. Howdy. What's up, man? How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. So judging by Skip's wall, he's had some success in the past. <laughs> this, this is the best place to film. I come from far. I'm, I'm out farming. I was actually in my driveway greasing stuff. I come back in the house and I've got like a big <laughs> a big thing of black grease on my face and then i just sit at the kitchen table and and do this so yeah there's mounds behind me awesome. um yeah what do you what do you, what's the uh what's in the cycle right now from farming are you spraying or what um, what are you doing um everything known to man i got all my fertilization done yeah i do things like like i evolve every year i change things i try things i'm i'm kind of a um, uh, a science nut. So like this year I got food waste compost, mm -hmm. like black compost. Yeah. And that's what I use for fertilizer. And I did it because our input costs are so high right now to get conventional. Yeah. And I wanted something that was better for the soil. Now I had transitioned into doing like cattle manure and some chicken manure, but, um, one, you got to put out so much more cattle manure and it doesn't, or and then chicken manure is more potent, so you got to put out less of it, but it has a lot of weed seeds in it. So everything mm. kind of has its ups and downs. Well, this this food compost um, is really high in nutrients, and then it has 30% organic matter, and then it's really high pH, so it brings the soil pH down. I won't bore people to death on this stuff, but um, so my fertilization is done. Uh, I put some tile in. We got a few... Um, a few dry spells where I was able, able to put tile in. Uh, one of my projects on my farms is always to make sure there is no erosion, little erosion. So tile terracing, um, I'm way ahead of schedule this year. So there you go. And I want all my equipment's ready to go. I just got done greasing a few things today, fixing some things and I'm, I'm ready to go. So corn in the ground in what, three weeks or so? Probably. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, now I'll probably even do, um, soybeans before corn just with the genetics on the soybeans wow. you can actually get away with doing soybeans before corn and you'll probably start seeing that across the midwest 
as time progresses as well. So, mm. I mean, I like the farming stuff. I love everything, farming, food plots, you name it. Um, you know, but the, the deer hunting and the habitat and building habitat, native grasses, forests, planting trees. That's like my, my big passion. I mean, growing mature bucks, hunting mature bucks, which I'm preaching to the choir there, but, uh, that's a huge passion. And then, you know, I would say it's followed by like habitat stuff and really d- digging deep into the habitat, which has just taken me tons and tons of time and just decades. And I, I still love it. And the learning for that stuff never quits. So, um, it's just, it's fun every year and I'm doing something different every year and 20 years from now, I know I'll be trying new things because again, with this sport or with all the things we do, the learning really does never end. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, Skip, one thing I think would be good for people is just a little bit on your background. So obviously we just talked about farming here in, in Iowa, but you're not an Iowa guy originally. No, I'm from Michigan. Uh, I hunted probably 10, 12 states across the Midwest, you know, started out shooting little basket rack bucks and that's all we had to shoot. I mean, literally there was multiple seasons where we didn't see a two and a half year old deer and two and a half year old deer were pretty much unheard of in the area I grew up in. So um, several seasons, a year and a half old deer. And then we finally found some areas in Michigan where we could go to the, the Southern belt where it was very rural. And it was a good, a good soil mix of, of high quality soils with corn and soybeans mixed with timber. And all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, there's not a lot of people. And we found some older deer where you could get two and a half year olds, three and a half on occasion. And then, um, you know, after maybe five years into hunting, um, we've, we actually did get like a giant deer in Southern Michigan. It was a hundred and this is when we're kids. We, my brother shot 174 inch eight point Dang. in Michigan, Whoa. which is, <laughs> I mean, compared to Iowa. And this is like kids that are shooting year and a half holes. Also, my brother's like, Hey man, I shot a big deer. I'm like, yeah, 174 like, inch eight point. <laughs> yeah. He giant, goes, it's really giant. big. Wow. I need help. And I went up to this thing. I'm like, I mean, I'd never seen anything like that. I'm like, wow. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I'm like, Oh, in you know, I didn't really know deer like that existed. And, and my, my, um, depth of knowledge was like, I got North American whitetail magazine, deer mm-hmm. and deer hunting, couple videos, but I, you know, nobody ever thought deer like that existed. Dude. How and, funny is that though? Cause we talked about that numerous times about, you know, especially growing up in Michigan, we were in Pennsylvania, like you know, when there was no social media in this stuff, right? It was like, I waited for the North American whitetail to come in or deer and deer hunting or whatever it was, right? Those were the only ways I knew that like giant bucks existed, right? Other than that, or I walked through a Cabela's and it's like, oh, there's, you know, other than that, it's like, you know, what was real was, you know, somebody killed a giant buck. It was a two-year-old eight point, you know? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And, And a lot of it back then was like Canada, yeah. And I'm like, you know, this is like, so I'll put my, uh, put an age on it. Like this is maybe when I'm like 18, 19 and I didn't start hunting till I was like 14 or 15. So at 18 or 19, I'm like, I can't go to Saskatchewan. I can't afford to do that. I can't yeah. go to Alberta. And that's where a lot of these giants were being shot. And, and then all of a sudden I did start, this is when people started talking about Illinois and Pike County, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when it started getting traction. And 
my buddies in high school were like, Hey, there's this place, Pike County, Illinois, man, they shoot giants. I'm like, what, like what? They're like, you know, bucks with racks. Like, like what your brother <laughs> shot? And like, and basically like three-year-olds and up. And yeah. I'm like big deer. And I'm like, Oh, and when my brother shot that big deer, the guys who hunted there, there were some old guys that had hunted there forever for like 20 years. Well, we shot this big deer out there. My brother did. And immediately the year after they had to lease it. So we lost our place to go. We shot a big deer and they're like, Oh, there's a, you know, and they, they just like, Hey guys, uh, you know, and I got a call, Hey, the farm's leased out. Now I'm like to the guys that have hunted it for 20 years. Yeah. They want to lease it now. Cause there's giants out there. Wow. You guys prove there's giants. So I'm like, Oh no. And then I still, I still remember this. Like I revert back to my buddy who's like, uh, several of them are like Pike County, Illinois, man, there's giants out there. So I said, Hey, we just lost our farm. You want to take a road trip? And my buddy's like, yeah, let's go out there. So we loaded up my Honda Accord with a tent and a loaf of bread and peanut butter and jelly and a little portable grill. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went out to, I said, let's not go to Pike though. Cause it's publicized. Let's go to some other ones. So we went to like, Fulton and Skyler and knocked oh, yeah. and got, got permission um, and hunted there. And it was amazing. I mean, there was, there was giant bucks and in about a five year period of time, I watched it go from being like giant bucks and Hey, we could get places to hunt permission to there wasn't very many, many giant bucks in like five years. And like every gate had cars parked on it now and every gate had a non-resident hunting there. And all the farms we got permission on year one, we lost them all within five years while we're releasing it. Outfitters are, are scooping it up. You know, you can talk to this outfitter and pay them. And I'm like, and then by about year five or six, it, it went downhill so badly that I finally said, hey, we got to go to some other places. And, and I think we had started actually going to like Kansas and Missouri and Nebraska and and then we started going, finally, we went to Iowa, but I saw the writing on the wall, even with Illinois, it's skip, like skip. it went down very quickly. When was that five year period of time? Like roughly what year was that? Well, I remember not being into politics so much. And I remember this, this hillbilly coming up to our tent. Um, he had, uh, he was just, he goes, you guys hear about the election? I mean, that's a hillbilly. I'm like, no, uh, he's like, this George Bush and uh, Al Gore are fighting over this stuff and uh, just listen to him. So I still remember <laughs> that. I'm like, what's the deal? He's like, he's hanging chads. And <laughs> 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 we're like, okay. I didn't even care. At the time, I didn't care. I'm like, okay, I want to go hunt big deer. So I still remember that the, the hillbilly, nice guy. Talk to us about the hanging chance with the George Bush election. So that would obviously be 2000. Yeah. So that's, um, and that was the first year we hunted out there was 2000. So it's like red pill though in 2000, red pill, just like, holy cow. I mean, we saw my brother and I both, I mean, you know, everybody tells stories. You're like, yeah, I know you saw this deer and say it's this, but my brother and I both saw a typical multiple times. We almost got him that still to this day, I'm like, swear that's a world record. I swear it would, would rival mm. the Milo Hansen buck. I mean, it was that big, just 
gargantuan. We saw it multiple times. And I'm like, I mean, crazy, you know, just absolutely crazy. So, um, but then that pressure made, killed it. It just made us aware. It just made us aware, like, hey, there's some really great things out here. And right. Look at this. We just knocked on some doors and we saw multiple, like, you know, 150 and up, some 170s, a couple 180s. Uh, holy cow, this is vastly different than what we came from. So right. let's just, let's keep going down the rabbit hole and let's go to new places in Kansas and Iowa. And, and then when I hit Iowa. Game changer. I, so this is where we're oh, staying. <laughs> yeah, this is where we're staying. And Coincidentally, I mean, if, you, if you talk about that five-year period, it was like 2003 or four when Facebook really started to blow up. Was it? Starting out there. Yeah. About yeah, when when I knew like in in our little neighborhood in in Illinois there was like 10 different outfitters, I'm like yeah. And I you know, I didn't know this going into it like what outfitting was all about. And now I'm like, you know, there's there's some good outfitters. I have some friends that are outfitters, but for the most part I don't want yeah. I, no, we're with personally you. speaking, and this is controversial. I get it, but I don't want an outfitter next to me. I mean, I know what happens. Yeah. Hey, you know, I paid for the hunt. Uh, that three-year-old that looked pretty darn good. Yeah. He got an arrow, even some big two-year-olds with the best genetics. It's just like the, the last thing I want around me for is sure. a ton of outfitters. Yeah. And that was probably the main issue that did it in for yeah. us in Illinois. Yeah, well, I mean, it, the pressure is what will do it, right? I mean, you could have mature Absolutely. bucks in those areas. The moment you put pressure on it, and, and no offense to the outfitters, they're running a business, they're going to overhunt what that mature buck class can sustain because yeah. they need to make money. I, yeah. I, I think that's my problem like with, with outfitting. is, And I agree with you, Skip. There probably are some great guys that are outfitters. It's not like they, they all do this, but like the temptation that every one of them will in inevitably face at some point or another is, you know, quality of herd versus revenue for my business. Cause it's like the more do you shoot, uh, the more money you make, but the more deer you shoot, you know, potentially the, the, the more of a negative impact you're having on the, the long term, uh, you know, health of that herd, I guess. Yeah. I would say 90%, 90% of the outfitters, um, don't, don't do it right. In my opinion, mm -hmm. um, the, the land gets degraded, the hunting mm -hmm. goes downhill. The the amount of mature bucks is just depleted. Uh, it's a, it's a vicious cycle and it's like, well, I do this for a business and it's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, and there's some ones that are very conservative about it. There's a few and, and I'm friends with some of these folks that are truly conservative about it, where they're like, it's really not about the money. It helps pay the bills. And I'm, I'm very disciplined on what the people shoot, but, um, that is the exception. It's the Absolutely. exception. Yeah. And, you know, I do it for a business. I mean, telemarketers call me and they're doing that for a business. I don't I just, mm -hmm. you know, I just don't respect it a whole lot because I know it degrades things and I know it's, it's not good. It's really not a good system overall in the Midwest to have, to have pay to, to shoot deer and, and the decisions that get made just kind of ruin neighborhoods. I have to mm -hmm. imagine it's a very, very small amount of outfitters that can be successful monetarily while also being successful managing a better herd. Because, I mean, the two just don't line up. I mean, uh, you know, unless you inherited or somehow own thousands and thousands and thousands of acres that you can spread a lot of hunters out on to then not negatively affect the herd, 
I mean, most of these guys economically, the money coming in, they have a cost of good going out, which is leasing land usually, you know, and so there's an overhead there. Like the, the, the numbers just don't balance. Probably a lot of overhead in some cases. I'm sure most outfitters are leasing more than they own. For sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And very few of them own land. I mean, that I know um, that the vast majority it's leased out land. And then I've, I've looked at their numbers before my buddies. Hey man, I'm thinking about doing this. Look at the numbers for me. You know, if I charge 3,500 bucks for five days and I run this many guys, so I've looked at the numbers a million times and it's just, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, some of these are great people. Some of them, um, you know, they might be doing, making some poor decisions. They're still great people. So I'm not, I'm not trying to knock them at all. It's just, uh, Overall, it's not it's not good for whitetail management. It's it's not a good system. Yeah. Now, in Iowa, thankfully, we have a few outfitters, and they really don't hurt things the way it sits because we've got such a long draw, and the outfitting hasn't been able to take hold. And and when outfitting take takes hold uh, to a large degree, like in Illinois, it's just going to displace the resident hunters too. There's yeah. another downside of it. I mean, for sure, I, I love these people, but Sorry, what you're doing is displacing thousands and wow. thousands of residents. And Dude, we, we've and, seen that a lot in Kansas here recently. So, like, you know, I mentioned earlier, we've never been to Iowa, but Kansas is as good as we can get. So, we'll drive 16 out there, hours out there as often as we can. And uh, we've seen over, over the course of, I think I've been there for six or seven years. Jeremy's been there for nine or nine, nine or ten. ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly what you're saying, like whether it's outfitters or leasing uh, in a lot of cases, yeah, leasing or non-residents buying pieces of land, 80 acres or more, you know, they can hunt every year. And what we're seeing as guys that hunt, you know, some smaller leases and, but just as much public is we're seeing a lot of locals on public, like, like in November and all them guys, you know, I, I don't have to ask them to know that they got displaced off of these local farms where they had permission for a long, long time. Yep. Um, and absolutely the locals suffer. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where all these bills, all this legislation that comes through and all the, all the policy around deer hunting, uh, it really does hurt. It hurts the residents. And it's like, you know, I've gone to Kansas for 10 years too. And I watched Kansas enact laws, no more than 10 years. I went, I've been to Kansas for 20 years. And then there was some time in there where I didn't go there, didn't hunt there. I actually hunted there last year on a buddy of mine's farm. We went to a few different farms. And I'm like, I want to see what it's like again. It wasn't even to kill a deer. I just wanted to go out there and get a change of scenery. But I've watched Kansas change and they've, they've made some really poor moves that I'm like, really? I mean, you know, we had permission on a farm, permission. And it was the year that Kansas enacted the law where every landowner or tenant can get tags to auction off to people to the highest bidder. Mm. So I'm sitting there in my stand and I've been there, you know, before the sun comes up and an hour after the sun's up, I'm looking for deer and a dude comes walking by me and I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I, you know, so-and-so gave me permission too. I'm like, Oh, okay. He's like, yeah, I bought his tag on eBay. And <sighs> what happened, what happened that year is they enacted this law. Sounds like a great idea. Every landowner gets this perk to get tags we can auction off to non-residents. Mm-hmm. And all the residents showed up to these farmers because that's how 99% of people hunt is by permission and said, hey, is it okay if I hunt again this year? And they're like, eh, sorry, no, there's a new program out. Uh, you can buy the tag on eBay. 
for who knows what it goes to. And all the residents lost out on tons of permission. They were all sitting there going, what the world just happened? Yeah. The legislator just sold you out, buddy. Wow. And, you know, it's like, I, I don't live in Kansas. I'm not a Kansas resident. I think the Kansas residents should have an advantage over me. Sure. I want Kansas sure. to make it harder for me. And to some extent, they do a little bit. But, you know, when I can come in there and, you know, I can get pretty much guaranteed tags, it's getting a little tougher now, but uh, I'm on fairly equal footing as the residents. And that that makes it really tough. And when when all this stuff, you know, they enact all these laws, like you can auction off tags or whatever, whatever the case. And Iowa tried that this year, too. Mm-hmm. Um it just, it's one more thing to disfavor the residents. And, and it's like, where's that coming from? It's coming mm-hmm. from the legislator. Yeah. Who does the legislator represent? It represents the citizens yeah, of that the state. Locals. Yeah. Yes. So Pennsylvania or Ohio, I want you to make it harder for me to hunt there. I want you to favor your residents <clears throat> to the point that they have access to quality land. So I want your legislation in your state not to favor me, to favor the people that live there so they have access to quality land. And that is why new hunters and the regular everyday man is is having a hard time finding places to go. And that's actually why the hunting numbers are decreasing. Every DNR survey they put out there, the number one reason hunters are quitting the sport, this is fact, this is backed by data, is hunters don't have access to quality land. That's it. And that is the job of the legislatures to help that situation, not hurt it in any state, not just Iowa. We're not talking about Iowa. We're talking about any state. Any state. Yeah. And it's crazy, man, because, I mean, we see that and, and, you know, we've taken a few newer hunters on some of our trips out. Corey went with us to Illinois, you know, and we send a guy who's who's newer at hunting into public land back to a spot where we had scouted out on the way in runs into two guys who basically cuss him up a storm, tell him that he's, you know, almost trespassing, even though it's public land and you know how it makes him feel to say, Oh man, I love hunting. Like we should continue to do this. Yeah. Right. It's non-existent. You're on drugs. That's that's what people don't understand. And I've had the blessing lately and we can get into this more later of being able to sit down um, with the legislators, debate stuff at the Capitol now, and and it's kind of just morphed into a um, a new interest of mine, and where I'm getting requested to go there and talk about these issues because the legislators aren't educated about these things. But um, you know, when, when hunting's not enjoyable for the young kids, and they're fighting, and and there's drama, and there's you know people fighting over spots, and there's not places to go, and the hunting's poor. Eventually, a lot of these guys are like. Yeah. Heck with it. I'll go do something else. Yeah. And that's what's causing people to quit. Yeah. Um, where I'm from and in, in this can go a million different directions here, but where I'm from, uh, Michigan, they have given the hunters, not what they asked for. They've given the, they've given the special interests and the insurance companies and the weapons manufacturers. They've given them everything. They, all the seasons you could ask for. All the weapons you can ask for, you know, extended gun season, crossbows, they've given them everything. So it should be opportunities for everybody, right? Because that's what mm-hmm. they spin it as. Yeah. It, the special interest. Oh, too. yeah. The hunters aren't really asking for it. So you go, well, what's the result in Michigan after you've given the hunters everything, all these opportunities, every weapon? 
the the result is it is in 25 years michigan has lost almost a third of their deer hunters almost a third but you've given them everything yeah. you've given them every season you've given them every weapon you've made it easy for them yeah. we want to make sure we almost guarantee you a deer yeah i mean that's what essentially what i don't i don't want this to be given to me like easy like hey man you're gonna go out you're gonna get your deer no yeah a lot of you're going to eat some tags this is what hunting's about this is yeah this is why i like it this is why guys like us like it because it's challenging we're not always successful yeah. we don't want an easy button for everything and and states like michigan have done all this and what's the result the hunters have quit yeah and they've also quit because guys are like oh my gosh the special interests and the legislator are putting through all these crazy laws and, on, and then the guys in their neighborhood will get with the other guys and they'll say, hey, let's lease up the land. Yep. Let's lock things down. Let's create co-ops, which co-ops are great. I love it. But why are people doing co-ops? They're doing co-ops because they're like, listen, the government is out of control. Yep. The regulations they want to do, it's nuts. Yep. They're going to ruin it. So we have to take matters in it's our own hands. It's a defensive hand. mechanism. Yes. Yes. And essentially, we're, we're trying to override these crazy bills and crazy legislation uh, and make our almost our own rules. I mean, you still got to abide by the system, but whatever the rules for that state are, these co-ops are making it on purpose more restrictive for themselves. Mm -hmm. We won't shoot these deer. We, some guys are like, we won't gun hunt. We'll just make it archery. Let's limit the amount of bucks. Hey guys, will you agree that, you know, we're going to pass two and a half year old bucks and only shoot three and a half and above? Yeah, we'll agree to that. The hunters are self-restricting in good neighborhoods, mm -hmm. and I don't blame them for doing that. And no. that is a response to bad legislation. And and that's why the people need to have more of a voice in the legislation. Yeah. And I and in the last year or two, the last several years, I've gotten so much more involved in the legislative process and understanding how these bills came about. And I also know how these bills came about that ruined my home state 20, 30, 40 years ago. Now I get it. Yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't realize, it, you know, and, and I didn't realize it was horrible hunting either until sure. I experienced other areas. But yeah. now I know how states get ruined. Then yeah. this has been replicated across the whole country now. Well, it's, it's oppor opportunity is a, it's an interesting take on things because to your point, like Michigan, Pennsylvania's done it. Ohio's done it. You know, it, it, for whatever reason, Right, the the state agency feels, or someone at the state agency feels, that opportunity is going to plug the hole or stop the bleeding to hunters bailing out. Right, but clearly from the data of like what you see in a Michigan and you see in these other places, it, it's having an adverse effect. Right, if anything, it's pouring over more. This this opportunity to do and hunt wherever you want with whatever you want is not making people stick around longer it's causing this it's defense this defense response that's frankly cutting them out of the one thing they have to have which is access you can have all the opportunity to hunt this season and this weapon that you want if you got nowhere else to hunt you're screwed 
I think the fear, yeah. the fear right now, Skip, like, and we've talked with, you know, just the more people we talk to, like, there's a, there's a general unrest with, like, the opportunity that exists. Like, Jeremy and I definitely, I feel like we were one of the first people that come on and, and said it openly. We're like, yeah. dude, public land kind of sucks, right? You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. definitely getting worse, you know? Yeah. And then more people have chimed in and they're like, yeah, no, we agree. Like, we're really, we're really struggling to, you know, have success on public land. And a lot of it is on those public lands, the lands that the states are trying to provide access to. Um, and, and the fear is that, you know, if you, if you're in a hunter decline, like it has been and however long, it surely doesn't seem that way. Cause every hunter that's in the woods is that much more effective at killing deer over corn piles with crossbows, you know, and, uh, and cellular cameras and, and the list goes on. The fear is that you, we reach a point here where a ton, a bunch of people are like, I'm done with this. Like hunting, hunting sucks. There's, there's no opportunity yeah. left. Yeah. And I hunted the over hunted public land. I mean, it was, it was literally, I can, I can tell you what, how old I was when I said, I'm going to own land. It's when my uncle died and the family said, we're selling this small piece of ground, small piece. Um, and, and we, I didn't come from a hunting family. It was a city family, but my uncle, my great uncle was a hunter, sold it. And then I went to state land. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. I didn't see any deer yeah. filled with guys. Um, and so the access problem has, has gone back decades. And, you know, when, when people talk about giving opportunities to new hunters or, or those catch phrases, and I, I did a little video about this on YouTube called Keep Iowa Great. And I, and I kind of went through this stuff. Like when we hear, hey, pass crossbows because it's opportunities for new hunters. That, that's where does that come from? That comes from the, the crossbow lobby. Yeah. With the, the, the politicians that side with them. And what, what folks need to understand is that in like the Iowa legislator, I don't think is much different than any other. 99% of these people are not hunters. Yeah. Dude. If they are, they're not serious hunters. I talked to a lot of people in the Senate, in the house on the Iowa side, uh, in, in Iowa, they're not hunters. They don't get this stuff. And they're like, well, the crossbow people said this is opportunities for new hunters. It sounds great. It's a great catch. We want recruiting like, numbers. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And I'm like, they say that it's opportunities for hunters. And, I'm, and then I'll just go through it with them. And I'll say, listen, opportunities for hunters. Okay. In Iowa, and every state's kind of similar to this. I'm like, there's four and a half months of hunting season now in Iowa. Yeah. There's seven seasons. There's six plus weapons you can use as it is. And there's less than 8% timber in the state though, but four and a half months a season, seven seasons, six plus weapon choices. There's no opportunity problems here. <clears throat> no. You've got a third of the year to shoot deer with any weapon you can come up with. Opportunity isn't the issue. The issue is because we have less than 8% timber and we do have tons of hunters here, whether you believe it or not, we have tons of them. The problem is, is people don't have access to quality land. Yeah. And then they hang it up. Yeah. And I got to debate this just a schmo, a schmuck, a regular guy, me, farmer, skip. I got to debate this at the Capitol last week against two of Raven Crossbow's lobbyists. Uh -huh. And they got to speak, you know, to, uh, saying, yeah, we want to sell more crossbows. And yeah, we're all these bills that are like innocuous, like crossbows for um, wounded veterans. They put one in there for that. It's like they, they can already use a crossbow. Yeah. 
Yeah. You don't, you, need, you don't need a bill for that. But this one was um, uh, a floating tag for late season use crossbills. They're, they're like, all these bills, this is what they said. All these bills are there so we can get a slippery slope. And this is their words. So we have a slippery slope. So, you know, next year or the year after we can get crossbows during archery season. Sure. That's why I'm here. And we want to sell more crossbows. That's what Kansas did. And then, yeah, exactly. And it's like, and then we got to go back and forth several times. Um, and the legislators there were, I mean, they weren't aware of all this stuff. I'm like, listen, I'm a hunter, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here representing a lot of other, other hunters. These bills that you see right here, uh, we didn't ask for these things. The hunters of the state didn't ask for these things. Mm. Uh, we don't want crossbows during archery season. The only group here that wants crossbows during archery season is the crossbow lobbyist to my left here. Mm -hmm. you know, that's the only group. That's the only reason this bill is here. It's not the people asking for it. And they do it by design. I mean, I, I know the math on this stuff. It's, you know, it's an investment for them. It's absolutely hey, we're in New we're in New York. We're Raven Crossbows. We're in, we're in New York. We're going to spend approximately $250,000 on lobbyists. And we're going to get these laws passed. We don't care what happens. To Is that it? We That's don't all care it what takes? happens to the people. It's just paying two guys' salary, basically. Yes. My yes. Word. We're going to spend $250,000. And when, when it gets passed. To ruin deer hunting forever. That's all it costs. A quarter million bucks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. And, but they're in New York. What How do they disheartening care? What is that? What do they care what happens in Iowa? Well, dude, it's so crazy. Go, hey, it's so crazy to get to see. Bucks. It's not the first time either. Have you ever talked to Eberhart? You know, John Eberhart from Michigan? Yeah. Dude, he was yeah. he was fighting. I haven't talked to him, but I, I have a lot. You of have to talk to this guy, man. He was fighting the exact same fight that in you Michigan. were 30 years ago in Michigan. He was the guy that was saying, hey, I don't know about this crossbow thing. It does seem like a good idea. It's the lobbyist. And I don't know that he had the same access to, to debate it at the you know, at the, at the capital level, but he surely was outspoken about it and almost like got fired from his job was like, you know, uh, they came at him from well, all directions rep in the archery in, industry. Right. And so this was, in, you know, in the somebody else that Iowa. was poised to make money off that was like, Hey John, you better shut your mouth. And you know, I, I guess he kind of did yeah. for fear of losing his job. But like, dude, look at, look at Michigan now that was, you know, 30 years ago. Yep. So yeah, look at look at thirty years. We need and to get you connected with John. Twenty five years that they've lost a third of their hunters. Now the beauty for me is I don't have a motivation when I'm there. I'm right. asked to be there. Yeah. I'll have different senators and different house members and different lobbyists that have called me and mul multiple multiple ones of each. They're like, please come here and talk about these issues. Please debate this. They asked me to show up there. Yeah. Um, and. Nobody can fire me from my job right. because I work for myself. Yeah, yeah. I don't have sponsors. I'm not sponsored by a crossbow company. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a lot of the hunting celebrities and I've talked to them about these issues. I'm like, you got to use your platform on this. And several yeah. of them are like, I'm in, I'm in. And, and there's, that's a long discussion. Dude, let, yeah. And not to go too far down, but recently, like within the past couple of years, I've seen some guys bow hunter is in the name of their show and it's like i'm seeing like raven crossbow commercials i'm like like what what it what is this dude i'm like money. this is it goes it, back to the alpha thing no no money no offense to those guys again they may be super passionate over the top about the, i know they're running a business i know the numbers can't yeah. lie if they come and say hey sorry you know we're gonna pay you this what are they gonna say no 
I mean, that's, well, that and is that's, the that's devil where in the details It makes me sick, dude, is that because deer hunting is not a business. It was not meant to be a Like, the fact that there's an industry exactly. is like, you know, it's great and it's awesome that there are new products and I want all of those innovations and stuff like that. But, like, there there has to be a line, you know, and yeah. it's, it's far been crossed over. No doubt. And, you know, we have crossed. So they're like, in one of the Raven crossbow lobbyists, saying, see, guy, you know, said something snarky like, hey, the guy hates crossbows or something. And I got to respond to that. I'm like, I don't hate crossbows, you know, I, they, they're allowed in our state for disabled people, yep. for senior citizens, and they have a special season of their own at the end of the season, you know, late season. So, and that's where they belong. Yeah. yeah. I just want them to stay there. So I don't hate crossbows. Not in the hands I of able-bodied 30 year old men. Yes. Yes. I just hate that you are spending money in my state just, just for your own betterment to get crossbows in archery season just so you can make a few bucks yeah. and ruin our state in the process. That's what I hate. I hate the process. Well, and the other you know, thing is I hate if, that the people aren't asking for this. If you look at the new hunter side, right? The group that we need to focus on obviously is our kids, right? The next generation in Iowa, you guys have one of the longest youth season available. So like I'll take a step back in Pennsylvania or Ohio, where my kid can't hunt with a gun during archery season, right? A crossbow makes sense for the youth to have that because then they can hunt archery season. But in Iowa, from day one, right, they could go out with a gun and shoot wherever they want. Yeah, and they can use a gun. They can use a bow. They actually can't use crossbows, which, you know, um, I suppose if they added crossbows and I knew it would stop there, sure. there's a problem. You That's don't, a slippery I, I don't slope. I trust these people. Yeah. I don't, and it's, it, this is their words. They put bills into states to make it a slippery slope. So, you know, one step at a time, we're going to get what we want. Um, so if it was like, hey, the kids can use crossbows during the, the UCs. Okay, that'd be fine. But um, they can use a gun now, whatever, whatever you think about that, whether you like it or not. Uh, yeah, the fact they can like, use a gun, I don't think they need a crossbow. If they couldn't right. use a gun, exactly. right? If it was only a compound bow, then it's like, well... You know, some of these kids exactly. who can't be lethal with these, a compound. These kids have plenty of opportunities. Hey, Dad, I can. I only have two choices. I can use a, you know, a three fifty legend exactly. or a bone arrow. You're, you're set. Done. You're set. You have no issues. Done. Yeah. Um, every kid is going to have plenty of opportunities right now. The only opportunities these kids are lacking is, hey, Dad, do we have a place to go? Sure. Is there somewhere we can go um, that has plenty of deer that we're allowed to go? I mean. I don't want to go to that public land again, Dad. We saw, you know, 50 million hunters didn't see any deer. And that's in Iowa. That happens a lot. It's so, a bad experience, you know? man. And they just don't yeah, want, and, they don't want to go back to that. And, and what's so weird about that, Skip, is like, you, know, you talk about Michigan. I talk Pennsylvania. Like, growing up, I hunted a lot of public land in Pennsylvania. And it was not like, you know, you saw guys all over the place. But between that public land and the private land and permission land, like I still felt like we were all kind of on the same like level, like public wasn't great, but it wasn't that much worse than permission or that much worse than nowadays. I mean, it is a stark difference. You go and hunt a, a well-managed piece of private ground and then get forced onto a, a chunk of uh, public ground. And I mean, it is night and day difference. Well, and, and what's changed there is, you know, with less access um, and, and more guys saying, hey, I got to protect, I got to insulate. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's the reality of what's happening. Um, 
when when guys say I want to insulate and I want to tie up more ground, then these guys are forced onto this public. And while this is happening, hunter numbers, the newer hunter numbers are declining. Mm -hmm. So actually on this private land, like in Michigan, where I would see year and a half old bucks and that's it. Now guys today in areas that are locked up are like, hey man, since you've left, there's actually a few two or three-year-olds around there. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what's changed? And all of a sudden I start thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a third less hunters. Yeah. There's a third less hunters. And there's a and to to the hunters credit, there's more people that are like, Yeah, let's pass up that year and a half old deer. Mm-hmm. You know, the newer generation is far better at this yeah. than the old school people. Sure. You know, my, my parents' age, I mean, just so stubborn where they just had to shoot, <laughs> had to get their buck well, every year. We've got parents to, too. Yeah, 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 we, we, get it. we get it. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but huh. I, I think what's so weird about it too is like there was an appreciation and a grind in that kind of growing up that way that probably is where like nowadays, I mean, it's why we're ate up with it. I mean, it's why we freaking live and breathe this stuff and chase mature bucks. And I, I, you know, I think right now there's kind of two segments of, of newer hunters. There's the people who get forced on the public and frankly, it's just trash, right? They have a bad experience. It's, it's not, there's no reason for them to want to do it again. And then you've got these kids. And frankly, I put my kids in the group a lot where, I mean, it's almost handed to them on a silver platter. It's like, well, yeah, you know, I've got these deer patterned or I've, I've got these turkeys patterned. Like we go out, we have, and we have fun but it sure as shit isn't the grind that I grew up on. And so my worry there is, does it stick with them? It's not going to stick with these people that are on public and having terrible experiences. Will it stick with the kids who think it almost comes easy? I mean, how many people have you seen probably in Iowa, Skip, kids that are seven, eight, nine years old shooting booners early in the season? Yeah. And, and that's a personal thing. And I know I'll tick some people off and, and, and I'm talking about opinionated topics here. So I'm sure there'll be a few people in the comments. It's what we do. Different opinions <laughs> on everything I say, but you know, I'll see the guys where a six or a seven year old will shoot a bomber. Like, Oh my gosh. And my own kids, my, my kids are eight and 12 and, and I have a lot of nephews and I let, I let people hunt my land. So, so here's one comment. I'll get in front of this comment. I let a lot of people hunt my farms. I mean, I let a, a, as many as I can. And I told this to the legislature, you know, I'm not here because of things for me i'm i'm set you know i'm I'm 44 now i have my farms i let a lot of people hunt but the amount of people that want to hunt i can't take them all on sure i mean there's 20 times as many people that ask me to hunt it as possible but with the kids that hunt my ground my nephews my son who got a great buck this year um he's 12 years old i mean he went three years and his third year he shot a doe and the first buck he wanted to shoot. I I was more like, what do you want to shoot? And he's like, well, dad, I'd like to shoot something older. Well, there was, you know, there's deer on my farm that are, they're not a ton, but there, there's some giants. I mean, giants though. I'm not letting my kid shoot that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and he shoots, he's like, I want to shoot an older one. And he shot, you know, like a one thirty a one thirties, five-year-old that was, I mean, it was a good buck to, to sure. get out of there. Yeah. And it was a, it was a mature buck. Um, a lot of people would call that a management buck, but I mean, he was thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. It was the, the biggest buck on earth. And, and that buck, don't get me, don't misunderstand. That's, that's vastly bigger than the first buck I shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first buck I shot. Yeah. Dinker. 
Dinker. The second Buckeye shot, Dinker. So my boy's a little (laughs) bit spoiled to start, but I'm very cognizant of that. And there's a lot of hunters across the the whole country that are cognizant of that. Like, listen, we had to grind it out and I want my kids to grind it out. And I have a great farm that's set up now, but you know, my, my son has been out dozens and dozens of times and not connected. And I wanted that to happen. Yeah. And he's also with me working, you know, I work on the farm. This is my job. And my son comes out and I'm like, listen, there's playtime. You know, you can go fishing, you can go do this or that. But he sees how much work goes into this. Mm -hmm. And I do not want spoiled kids. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. But I mean, I'm definitely putting action behind that. No, I don't want my kid um, who is, you know, my daughter who's eight years old. I My daughter, who is eight years old, is not going to be shooting a 190-inch deer this year. I can assure you of that. Well, and I mean, that's a tough, it's a tough line. I mean, I wrestled with it, and and reality was we weren't killing a bunch of deer. Here's the question. Do do you make them, what if that deer walks out first? You know, I'm not going to tell somebody what's right and wrong. It's up to you. It's up to you. Just, you know, personally speaking. Well, I'm asking you. you Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so so if a 190-inch deer walks out, um, my son. No Yeah. Now I might get trash for that. You cold hearted, you know, whatever. Um, that, you know, I'm just not, I, I just don't want to do that. I, I'm just more concerned with like, Hey, that kind of spoils your kid. You Man, know? I, I think like, it hey, ruins it. I, I respect it, that I, a lot. And Where do you go from there? Exactly. So it's like, it's like, um, when I was in high school and, and I grew up in a very conservative community where a lot of people did not have a ton of money. But like there was a kid who turned 16 and all of a sudden he's got a brand new Camaro loaded with a V8 that his dad bought. Yeah. Does that teach him a good lesson? Or how about the kid? You know, my parents are like, well, you, you have to buy your own vehicle. And I bought a $400 uh, Delta 88 Oldsmobile that was brown. It was the ugliest car known to man. <laughs> well, versus my buddy who gets a brand new Camaro. Yeah. Which, it was embarrassing at the time or it wasn't like, Hey, I can brag and show this off, but which, which one of those two teaches a kid a better lesson? Yeah. When you and finally bought your new car though, how did that feel? Yeah, exactly. And I earned it. Yeah. I earned it too. And I feel like, you know, if 190 inch deer walks out, I'm just going to say how it is. My kid's 12 years old. He He's getting hunting more and more, but he didn't earn that. He yeah. didn't earn that. And most people, a lot of people, it takes them a lifetime. A lot of people don't get a chance at 190 inch deer or whatever it is. So um, I just, I'm very cognizant. I don't want to spoil these kids and I want to make it a challenge for them, you know, yeah. and that goes right back to the legislation. I want it to be challenging. Hunting is meant to be challenging. If, if it was guaranteed and this was easy, I promise you, you know, I've been doing this 30 years. I would have quit a long time ago. Okay. Got that figured out. It would become boring. Yeah. And I'm still captivated with yeah. it because it's still hard. Dude, we, we, this is really hard. We talk about that a, a ton, Skip. Just the, the fact of like, we're like, man, why why is it that we're so obsessed? Like so ate up, you know? Uh, I'm 30. Jeremy just turned 39 the other day. Yeah. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. Um, and like, dude, we're, ju- we're just obsessed. You know, you described it earlier, like that 20 to 25 age. You know, yeah, we've maybe grown a little bit since then too or, or gotten acclimated to what different states are like and stuff. But it's... You know, we've tried time and time again to like figure out what what is it or what was it, what happened 
that made us like so obsessed to, to even today, you know, at 30 years old or at 39, 44, you know, that uh, we'll go to these extreme lengths to like uh, to, to achieve like killing a, a certain deer or a mature deer. And it's like the thing we keep coming back to is like it really was the the failures and the like impossible hardships that we went through. Like it was the years and years of not seeing any deer or any deer that we wanted to shoot uh, that I think like built in us just this uh you know whatever it is the extreme passion like that that's what built it you know as opposed to and it's unfortunate we're kind of talking about two different groups of people here one of them is is you know your kids when you have the opportunity to uh regulate the amount of success that are happening and also new hunters who you know the first experience they have is like with the new technology like you know with a crossbow with all these certain things and it's deer hunting is much easier than it was 20 30 years ago um and the fear that you know or, or what we see is like how how can these people possibly have the same level of passion that we have for it when they haven't faced nearly the same level of adversity yeah and and i think that's that's deer hunters going through the stages where it, it the passion can be like a, a snowball so you shoot a few year and a half old bucks and then your buddies are like hey look at this i shot a two and a half year old and they do exist in a few places and you're like mm-hmm. oh and not everybody but a handful are like i want to try it for that two and a half year old buck and then all of a sudden they're like hey i got three or four two and a half year old bucks now i want to try for a three and a half year old and it just it's never ending well when you get to the end of that though and you're like i want to shoot I want to hunt mature bucks. Uh, and I have, you know, I got, if you find yourself in the best situation someone can imagine. And I used to think like, Oh, if I own that, I'd shoot all these bombers. No hunting mature bucks is still incredibly hard. Mature whitetail bucks is incredibly hard. I don't care if it's Iowa. I don't care if it's Kansas. I don't care if it's Ohio or Pennsylvania. It's just extremely hard. And, you know, you say, um, no, no, it's, it's definitely harder. Don't, don't misunderstand. It's definitely harder in Pennsylvania. When, when sure. my buddy shoots, sure. uh, a five and a half year old in Southern Michigan, I'm like, Oh yeah, you're yeah. the man. I mean, that, that's a, that's a, a feat. Yeah. Um, it's an accomplishment, but, um, but it, it's just difficult. And there are seasons where it's like, you know, I'm still working really hard at this and I'm passionate about it and I'm chasing mature deer. And I'm like, I come up empty or, you know, I didn't, I didn't get the deer in front of me that I wanted to shoot. And I'm like, you know what? Th- that's not the deer I want to shoot. The one I was after, I didn't see him. Yeah. I will eat my tags. I will eat my tags. And I just spent a year, a year on this and it doesn't work out. And so that's, it's still challenging to this day. Yeah. You you know, and I work at this all year long. I mean, you know, there's farming and other stuff I do, but there's no limits to what I can do. And I do do them. Um, and it's still in- incredibly difficult chasing mature bucks. And, you know, with all this stuff like, hey, we got to create more opportunities for hunters and we got to have all these new weapons and all these new seasons. All that's doing for the few guys out there that want to chase mature deer and want to have a balanced age structure and a healthy, biologically sound herd. It's just making it harder for them. Yeah. And when you make it harder for, for that small group, that wants to chase mature deer, they're going to lock up more land. They're going to restrict things. Mm -hmm. They're going to buy, they're going to figure a way around the government regulations. They're going to go, I'm going to insulate myself from it. And and that's what happens. So 
So guys, guys who are the mature buck chasers are going to figure out a way. And by definition, the government's forcing them into a corner um, where they're like, okay, now I got to buy land or I got to lease something. You know, I wish, I wish, I mean, and I'm part of that. I own land, you know, and I let, I let other people go, but I wish every farm was just as good as mine, you know, and, and you didn't have to lease up land. I wish it was just good everywhere. Right. I know that's not reality, but. No, the harder you make it for the passionate guys that want to hunt mature bucks, you're just going to ruin it for the everyday guy. I think, I think think an important part there too, Skip is, and we've heard this before. Um, I think oftentimes that top level guy, right. And three of us are sitting here talking gets placed in a group of, you know, hunting is for the rich, right? I can't tell you in the number of times I've heard that. And, and the fact is, is yes, there are quite a few people that are wealthy and landowners and stuff, but that top group doesn't spend their money on stupid shit. We spend our money on whitetails and hunting and whether that's property we own or property we lease or gear we have or sell, can- whatever it Whatever's is. Whatever's going to put a big buck in front of us. We don't, we're not going to concerts. We're not going out to eat every night. We're not buying this. We're not doing that. And it's because this is where our funds are going. So I think oftentimes you hear people say, well, yeah, it's just becoming the rich man's word. No, no, no. I just, that is the only place I spend my money. And because I'm so passionate, I will figure out a way to be able to pay for that stuff. Yeah. And, and I've heard the hunting is for the rich since the nineties, since I was a little kid. And it's like, you know, I made four twenty five an hour when I was a teenager. And before I did that, I had lawn businesses where I probably made less than that. Um, you know, my tags were like 20 bucks a year. You know, I saved up for a bow and arrow. I could buy this stuff. It's not terribly expensive for a resident, Mm -hmm. you know, and to go into state land, little bit of gas money it's it's not an it's not a rich man's hobby now where you make it more of a rich man's hobby is when you you put these regulations in place that that liberalize liberalize the whole system where everybody can do it all and then you have everybody locking up access and then that becomes more of a rich man's sport and these the people without the money are like listen all the ground is degraded so the solution to that is make it better for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, make the whole system a little better. And I'm not saying like, Hey, set up your States. So you have like five, six, seven year old deer all over. I'm not saying that, but set it up. So like, Hey, not every year and a half old and two and a half year old just gets gunned down every year. Cause we have crappy regulations, Sure, you know, and that, that, you know, that's what's driving the lower class out of this. It's just like, listen, I'm left with the crumbs regular ground because of your legislation state sucks. Yeah. So I'm out and I blame the legislators and the special interest. I mean, that's where it's at, right? I mean, it is the top down that what I do on my property or you do on your property, you do on that. That's at a local level. The one thing that can change the statewide landscape level is those statewide regulations. If you tell me I can shoot three bucks and nine does, Guess what? I have the ability legally to go out and shoot three bucks and nine does and nobody can tell me different. Whether the, the people, herd can sustain that, who cares? Right? The state told me I can it. do it. Exactly. People will do it. They they put a they put a um uh at one time it was four weeks of <clears throat> three or four weeks of rifle season at the end of our uh muzzleloader season. So like going into February, people are coming, you know, with rifles down here. And it's like um 
you know, they come down from the city, all these areas that have been hunted all year, and they're, they're using rifles and shooting deer at four and 500 yards. Yeah. That they're I, probably shed out already. Yeah. And they shot countless shed bucks and, and the hunters reacted to it because the hunting went downhill quick. I mean, it sure. went downhill very fast and the hunters went, what the heck are you guys doing? And they, and the hunters voiced up enough and they got it removed. And mm. Thank goodness they did. Um, so the hunters of every state can get things changed. Um, you know, Iowa is a unique state where somebody, some people might look at Iowa as like, Hey, it's the last great place. And I kind of view it like that. I do. Um, there's a few other States I'm, I do really like, and I'd let, I wish I could make a few little tweaks to them. And there's some regulations in Iowa that are bad. I mean that, you know, everybody's like, well, Iowa has some problems. Yeah, it does. Sure. It does. It has some things I'd love to change, but, but Iowa's the last great place. And you go, well, why is Iowa the last great place? And what has happened to all these other things? Well, for 30 years, no, for longer than 30 years, Iowa's actually had a defensive organization called the IBA, the Iowa Bow Hunters Association, which they've hired a lobbyist to defend from all this craziness. And while all these other states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota are getting assaulted, I mean, assaulted with bad leg legislation. We were too, but we had the IBA to stand up and say, no, 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 no. You're not ruining this state. And they held the line for 30, 40 years hmm. where every other state, you know, they lost and just the hunters just apart. rolled over and the, or, yeah. or the hunters didn't even know. Well, that was the thing. Get, we're, we're finding out more and more. I mean, even per what you said, and again, we're not in Iowa, but we we'll talk with Mike Yoder from Deer Drone about like these bills are hitting the Senate and it's like, we're pretty in tune with the industry and we have no freaking clue these things exist. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. <laughs> or, or a Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> One and the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th th especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for, for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst the sea fork of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. Um, two quick things, you know, Iowa uniquely, you have all these people who said, I, I was the last great place and I want to go there. And a lot of these people are friends. I'm friends with them or I know them, whatever, but I'm going to go to Iowa and make my business. I'm going to film hunts or I'm going to have a great big farm and I'm going to be a hunting celebrity. If that's what you call it. And most of my friends who are hunting celebrities laugh at they're like, I don't want to be a hunting celebrity. <laughs> You that do want to be hunting celebrities, it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, it's it's corny, but but it's like, hey man, you've made your living, and and you've had all of your success, and this state has given you opportunities that no other state you couldn't dream of them in 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 other states. It is your, in my opinion, it's your duty to speak up against the people and the special interests that are just looking to exploit this state 
and that will ruin the state just for their little slim interests, mm-hmm. usually that revolves around money. You folks need to speak up about this. And more people are getting more vocal about this. More people are understanding this. Um, so that's a good thing. And, and I've talked to several of these people lately, like, Hey, you, you did, you made all of your success off of this state. Right. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta do something. You gotta give back, man. And they're like, I'm in, I'm in. And, you know, I'll give you a classic, a classic example. Um, some buddies of mine are, are, that are from Minnesota and a lot of my neighbors are from Minnesota and they're like, well, we, we came to Iowa cause our state sucks because mm-hmm. we ruined our state. Yeah. yeah. And some of my buddies from Minnesota, it was just like a month ago. We're saying, do you realize that Minnesota used to be the number one B and C state in the country in like the eighties or early nineties or something? <laughs> it was something like that. And I might have my dates wrong a little bit. I go, what? Number one. In BNC, yeah, like giants. And my buddy's like, dude, I used to see 200s. I'd see mammoths even up north. We'd see yeah. giants. We'd shoot giants. They'd shoot bomber after bomber. I'm like, Minnesota? Wait, all you guys are down here from, from Minnesota because it sucks. And they're like, yeah, it was great 20 and 30 years ago. It sucks now. It's mm. horrible now. And I'm like, what happened? The same thing happened. All these regulations went in. More this, more that more seasons, more tags, more weapons. And that state went from the number one BNC state in the country. And I might be off a little bit here. But to the another one, to the, no, to the number one license plate we see in every other state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, they're all my neighbors now. Yep. And all my neighbors here are from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Michigan. And here's another one. A lot of my neighbors, they're from Illinois. Jeez. Wow. And then I'm right by the Missouri border. I have neighbors in Iowa that drive across from Missouri and buy land in Iowa. Yep. And it's like, you go across that line over there, which isn't far from my house here. And it looks just as good. Yep. The genetics are amazing. You know, it, it's, it has the equal potential, um, but it's state regulations are different. It's not even close. Yeah. I mean, you go across that line. Yeah. It's bad. Over the counter, so, man. I can go yeah. I can go and hunt that place over the counter. Rifles during the middle of the run. Yeah. Seriously. That's Rifles. It. And there has been some states, um, DNR or legislators that have reached out to me and they're like, hey, and I'll bottom line what they what they want to talk about. They're like, I need some help. I want I want to be informed. I'm not a hunter. Um, I followed you on some things. I've seen you know, a few things you've done with the Iowa legislator, whatever, but could, you know, I'll make a long story short. They're like, could you make a proposal or discuss with us something that would increase the revenue for our state and at the same time, increase the quality of hunting? Could we have both? And I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. you could have both. You can do both of these. And when people say your state is a quality state and they want to come there, more people are going to be excited. Residents, even your residents, and that's the main one you want to excite. Uh, the hunting's back. You know, it's getting better. We're doing things to improve it. So, um, you know, there is ways to both increase revenue, which the government loves to say that we yeah. want to increase revenue, and make the hunting better. So, there is it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And and really, with this stuff, there isn't any losers here because somebody's like, oh, you're you're just a trophy hunter, or whatever. And, and they'll throw that out kind of as a negative. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not a trophy hunter. I'm someone who wants to chase older deer. 
And biology, simple biology tells us that when you have a balanced age structure with mature deer in it, that is biologically more sound than a deer herd where all the young bucks get gunned down and the yeah. young bucks do the breeding. I mean, a balanced age structure is biologically proven to be better. And, and I don't care if that mature buck has a 20 inch, 120 inch rack or 180 inch rack. Just the fact that you have some mature animals. Yep. Who wouldn't want to have a few mature animals in the herd? It doesn't mean like that's what everybody shoots, but a lot of states don't have those mature animals. And the guys that are like, well, I still just want to shoot a year and a half old buck. Okay, you can still do that if there's mature animals. If sure. we set up the regulations so some deer can get by, the guys who want to shoot, and I've, I've said this before in a couple of the videos that I've done or, or, or discussions I've had. Um, the guys that want to shoot uh, the year and a half old bucks to the two and a half year old bucks, they're still they're forever going to have that opportunity. The people who actually are losing opportunities right now, which is a catch word that everybody wants to talk about, is the guy that actually says, I want to I want to hunt for a little bit older animal and I want this to be a little more challenging. Those are the guys that are hurting for opportunity. Yep, sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's and it is probably because they're not hunters they don't understand the outdoor they don't understand how the system works biologically and from a social uh, social side of it but i think ultimately it th the mindset has been nearly viral of opportunity 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 and again it's it's all in the the side of lengthened seasons tag allocations weapons whatever but but clearly access is the biggest issue here. Um, and, and yes, there's some paying attention to it, right? There's certain states. We hunt the plots in North Dakota, which is awesome. Um, there's some other states. Obviously, Kansas has got walk-in areas that's private land open. To, there are some things being done. Pennsylvania's got a good game cooperative thing. But ultimately, it's still, you know, let's say you want to increase hunter numbers. You're trying to jam 10 pounds of shit into a five pound bag, right? It doesn't work. So even if you want to increase your hunter numbers, right? Where the hell are you going to put them? Okay. Now think of it this way. Um, it's not a perfect analogy, but it just popped into my head. So you, you want to, you say everybody's rightfully says oftentimes public land is, is ruined. It's degraded. It's overrun. Fine. I agree. Well, there's a lot of lakes that are like that too. Even in Michigan, it's For like everything sure. got fished out. Okay? Yep. Well, there's a few lakes that will make unique regulations to their lake. They'll say, Hey, you can't, you can only keep so many fish and they have to be in this slot limit. If yep. you're over this, you got to throw them back and they make it very restrictive. Where does the public want to go fishing? They all want to go to those lakes. Why? because it is substantially better and the public can show up there. And oftentimes it becomes pretty close to catch and release. And you go, there's a lot of dudes fishing there. It is public access, but the fishing's really good. And you're like, why is the fishing good on this lake? But it sucks on that lake. Mm -hmm. They look the same because the regulations and the slot limits and, and the, 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 all the, the tag limits and stuff are, are just more restrictive on that lake. And that actually makes it better. Yep. Same it reason we all want to come to Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. There have been some public lands have done it. Like, so, um, it, it was when I lived in Miss, I lived in Mississippi for almost five years 
and a lot of the wildlife management areas there, you only got in via draw. And so you would have to put in a draw before the season, right? It's public land, but you had to put in a draw for early season. Most of those, I had to kill a doe before my buck tag was active. And dude, you want to talk about, I, it would have rivaled any of the private lands around there. I mean, some of the biggest bucks I saw in that state were on these WMAs where there were draw access to. And the amount of people who wanted to hunt them was through the roof. But if you didn't get drawn, can't hunt it. Why, why was it through the roof? It was through the roof because it was quality. Because it was so good. So, Everybody knew it. Yeah. And, and we can do that here, too. I mean, if, if you restrict things in some fashion and there's all sorts of different ways to do this. Um, it will make people want to hunt there more yeah. or, you know, appreciate it too. Like, Hey, I'm going into a public, a piece of public land where the action, the, the access is restricted. Maybe I'm not going to just go shoot a year and a half old buck. This is a, they'll, they'll know it and they'll appreciate the fact that, Hey, this public is actually uniquely a good piece of public because they restrict it. So I'm going to actually go in there and not shoot a year and a half or two and a half. And I'm going to, I'm going to try for a, a better animal. And it just, it, it will, it's just like a, uh, a snowball effect where it just keeps getting better for everybody. Everybody, everybody benefits from that. So, you know, I, I'm not a big regulation person. I'm a small government person, but, you know, and I've listened to your podcast in the past on that. I mean, regulation is the key. It's it, the key. You have Good to. regulations is the key to, uh, to quality deer management and to having a balanced age structure and truly having opportunities for all different classes of hunters. I mean, regulations is fundamental. And, yeah. and I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here and it's a broken record, but, but no regulations. Do you want to know what that results in? That results in the, the resource being wiped out. Yeah. Gone. 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 Well, and that's what Iowa was 50, 60 years ago. There was no deer here. Yeah. And I, and we've watched the pheasant numbers go from, People used to travel here by the loads to pheasant hunt to nobody pheasant hunts. Yeah. I mean, so we've seen all these different states or or different types of hunting go down in a matter of a decade or two. And there's nothing to say deer can't do the same thing because they it has before. Mm. And, you know, in some places it has again. And, and I want to make sure that doesn't happen in Iowa. Do you think it's salvageable, like in in states that, like uh, to Jeremy and I, it seems like are so far gone, like the Pennsylvanias, the Minnesotas, the Michigans, like, yeah, you know, you're talking about Iowa, a state that we're all, you know, looking through the glass, and I wish we could go there, but even Iowa's got its issues. You know, what the, about the, these? These states could get fixed. These states, could, and I'm not saying that Pennsylvania is going to be like Iowa. Okay? Sure, sure, I'm not yeah, saying that. that, but. Whatever Pennsylvania is at now, it could be immensely better. And I could go through, you know, Michigan could be immensely better. Now, if you let me, and, and um, I've had some fun on this with online, I call myself the deer dictator. And I'm like, here's what the deer dictator would do for all these laws in these different states. But if I could enact the laws in Michigan, which I'm not going to, but if I could, I could make it so Michigan and some people be like, no, too many hunters and they'll poo-poo it and say, no, there's reasons it won't work. Yes, I could make it or the people of Michigan could make it where that state um, is better than Iowa. There's five to ten. I'd have to look at the exact stat, but five to ten times the cover. There's two, three, four times the amount of deer's numbers. Yes, there's more hunters, but there's also way more habitat. And way more premium habitat with good fertility, especially in that southern third of the state, where Michigan, 
the potential there is astronomical. Yeah. So all these states could be immensely better, immensely. And there's a way to do it. There's yeah. a way to do it. And I'll, I'll get into that next. Now, the first thing is it has to be fairly simple. For me to go into Michigan and be like, hey, I'm the dear dictator. I'm going to change everything. Um, that's not that's not practical, of course. So I'd only want to do one or two things. And most of these states, you know, I know Ohio doesn't fit into this boat. Ohio actually does things pretty well. I mean, I'd love to get rid of the crossbows. I'd love to get rid of the bait. Well, dude, Jeremy and I, Jeremy and I talk about Ohio a lot. Like when you say, oh, they're they're one change away from being like the best state in the country. Ohio is that for us. And Ohio, Ohio could take all the spotlight off of Iowa. And and Ohio has some spotlight on it because it it is good even the way it sits. I know you guys are frustrated. And I know a lot of people are frustrated, but. It's way better than Michigan. Yep. Yeah. Way better. So, um, you know, Ohio, absolutely. If you could say, hey, we the people, we the hunters, we want crossbows in their specific season, you know, not in archery season. They can have their own season. We're not against crossbows, but we want them in their own well, season. I think there's lower and, hanging fruit, dude. I mean, for us in Ohio, it's baiting. I, I think yeah. leave the crossbows, fine. Th- there's my next. There's my next one right yeah. there is get rid of the bait. Yeah, okay. okay, so. You get rid of the bait and you get rid of the crossbows in Ohio. That state dominates Iowa. It will be better than Iowa. Michigan, very simple. Hey, guys, we don't need to do antler point restrictions. We don't. Are they beneficial? Sure, sure. But it's it's not it's not a game changer. They need a game changer. And it's as simple as this. Hey, guys, 14 days out of the year, I want you to move that gun season back 14 days. Mm-hmm. 14 days. Some years on December 1, it's warm. Some no. years, it's really cold. 14 days does not change a whole lot. It's no. just a date on a calendar. Move it back 14 days. Get the guns out of the rut. Michigan would blow through the roof. Well, there's all these southern stubborn people that will never go for it. Fine. I mean, and and I'm not, these things are hard to do. But well, that's, with, that's one element of it, Skip, is, you know, on all these things, they have to be enforceable, you know, whether it's enforceable or everybody's got to really be on board with it. Like the, the baiting in Ohio thing is a perfect example of like, you know, we can propose that, but then you have all this ripple effect of like, well, farmers are making a tremendous amount of money off of that. What happens with those people? You know, uh, are, is it like a taking guns from the people situation where all of the, you know, all of the criminals are going to continue to bait, right? And it's just going to, it's going to still have that influence. We have to look at the overall picture, though. The overall net effect is that everybody in the state of Ohio would be benefit would benefit from not having bait. Maybe the farmers would lose a little bit of money. They'd still be fine. Um, But as far as managing the resource and managing the quality of the herd, everyone would benefit from from getting rid of bait. And and even from a biology standpoint. I mean, baiting is clearly not ideal. It's not, it's not ideal what it sure. does to, um, you know, pulling that bait away when, when the season gets nasty, you're like, well, I'm done hunting. I mean, and what, what it does to the ecosystem and the brow, stuff like that. So um, overall, everyone wins with yeah. a few exceptions, but, but the, the vast majority of people win if you remove baiting, if you remove crossbows. And in Michigan, um, you know, if you move that season back two weeks, and I would argue Hey man, if somebody's like, Hey, you get a second one, you get a second wish. I'd be like one buck, one buck. You guys, you guys tell us you have an army of hunters and it's, and it's a smaller army since 
everybody's quitting, make it one buck. Make Michigan one buck. And some people be like, I'm pulling my hair out. I'm freaking out what this guy's saying. It's fine. But it would benefit everybody. And that state would blow up. And here's the deal. If you made it one buck and you move that gun season back two weeks, I'm just I'm just saying it how it is. Three or four years later, all the hunters would be like, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Don't they change would. it back. Dude, in, in a, almost unanimously, people be like, yeah. do not change it back to the way Absolutely. it was. Absolutely. Yeah. In the spirit of compromise, I mean, Jeremy and I have circled like, you know, because Ohio's a big deal. We both have property there. Uh, we see baiting as an issue, even though, you know, we feel forced to do it ourselves sometimes. And, and we have taken part in that. Um, I get it. You know, we look at things that like, you know, if we're looking at Iowa and saying like, man, what is Iowa doing right that, that we're doing wrong? I, I think I would be in favor of like trading baiting for adding an additional buck tag for landowners. Uh, abs- absolutely. No, I don't want to necessarily give landowners a tag. Just here, here you go. But if I were to offer that up as a trade for baiting, yep. I think that'd be so, a, a great trade. So here's the, here's the interesting thing is you said, you said you have to compromise. And as hunters over the last 30 years, there's no, there's been no compromise. We've right. always uh, receded ground. We've always been sure. pushed back. Yep. So there's been no compromise when it goes the other way. We just have to get rolled over. Yep. So for one, at one point, hunters at some point, and this will happen with the younger generation that gets it far better than the old school generation that are just beyond stubborn. The, the, the younger people understand this vastly better than the older people. They just do. So there has to be a point where hunters go, listen, we've just, we've given in, we've been rolled over for decades. Let's go on offense. Let's get a few things changed in our favor. And let's just be honest. The weapons have gotten more effective. They're far more deadly. The seasons are longer. There's more weapon choices. Um, But the seasons are even longer. I would argue, hey, if your weapons are vastly more effective, uh, wouldn't you reduce the seasons a little bit? You would think so. You You would think think so. so. But by definition, then, hunters are always giving ground up. And what people can do in their states is the exact same thing that Raven Crossbows is doing or um, or the insurance companies that hate deer. All these people are doing is they're hiring lobbyists to get their special interest needs through. So here's my question. If if insurance companies and crossbow companies and rifle companies can hire lobbyists for fairly affordable rates why can't hunters get together and hire a lobbyist to promote and to go on offense for the issues that they feel are important to them because they haven't been doing it for 20 30 40 years i was the only one place that has mm. lobbies mm. that defends us and if you mm. want to talk real numbers like iowa or ohio to hire a lobbyist to say you know what lobbyists we are sportsmen. We care about our resource. We want it to be better for everybody. We're not doing this to make money because you're not, you know, to change the regulations, that's not going to make money for you to no, get right. dating gone, right? Right? I mean, so, but we are hiring a lobbyist and it sounds bad, but that's what all these other people are doing. You could hire a lobbyist for thirty to $40,000 a year and say, we are hiring you if you get the right one. We're hiring you. See, you can lobby the legislatures, the, the legislators in our state to get rid of baiting. And here's the reasons why. 
One, disease. Two, what it does to the ecosystem. Three, um, for sportsmen's like sportsmen's like reasons, you know, just getting back to woodsmanship. I mean, whatever it may be. But there's a strong argument to um, to get rid of baiting, and there's as strong enough of an argument to get rid of baiting as as they have to add this crazy new weapon to our season, or sure. you know, to, they 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 just propose um, air bows in our state. Is that cross like, guns? What's an air bow? Yeah, yeah, they're they're bow and arrows with a that are a gun that shoots an arrow with air. Yep. Well, there's just as much merit. They hired a lobbyist to do that. Well, if they can hire lobbyists to do that, here's the thing is there there might be a lot of people in your state and there is that are like, hey, I'm a younger hunter. I, I can't do that, but I could pitch in 25 bucks. But, you know, for people who are like, hey, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing OK. They you could get 30 of your buddies who are doing OK that are like, hey, I'm 50. I've got a business. I'm fine. I'm going to pitch in a thousand bucks towards this yep. and 30, maybe 40 guys. And you start an organization that says we want to make the hunting in Ohio better, well, dude, or the hunting in Pennsylvania better. In a, this can happen in a state like Ohio, Skip. I mean, I don't think. I mean, with the right promotion, like I think thirty, forty thousand dollars could be pretty easily achieved, like in a couple of weeks. There's got. I gotta believe yeah. there are people out. I mean, if you whatever yeah. you put out a GoFundMe and say, "Hey, listen, you, I'm you pull out your cell phone. You, you know. pull out your cell phone and go." Oh yeah, that guy I know that's fifty. That is my really good friend that loves Ohio. He loves chasing mature deer. That's doing fine. I mean, not not a gazillionaire, but he's doing okay. Yep. He gets a new truck. He gets a new bow of your. Wonder if he'd contribute. You text him. Say, hey, can we talk about this? Thirty to forty buddies. You could get it done, and you could fight fire with fire. And you don't realize this is fire that's been used against hunters for decades. Yeah. And Dude, we need to utilize the same tactics. We talked. We talked about it last year, man. And, and, bearish is not the right word. We just kind of we lost, you know, fuel on it. But like, dude, it's every year. Like that gun season comes and goes, and it's like we just find ourselves in a state of depression. It's like, dude, what, what am I do? Like every year, you know, it's like you know the, the couple of kids, you know, that are hunting. It's like on oh, their first year they baited, and there's these three and four year olds are getting killed, and nothing, nothing against like that those kids in that situation, but. We're like, dude, this has to change. Like, I and mean, we we talked for a while about like, is it a is it a petition? Like, who do we talk? You know, it just seems like it's not even possible. Who would you talk to about? It's possible. Yeah. And and I'm telling you, now that I've been in the system, like working with the system, I'm not a part of the system. Nobody. Um, I don't have any money involved in this. I don't have anybody pushing me. I don't have sponsors. I don't want them. I don't want anybody persuading me for any nefarious reason. I'm here because I care about this stuff. I'm in the system and I know how it works now. And I'm telling you, multiple states throughout this country can change their state. And it's going to start with the same ways that things got changed against what they wanted and not in their favor. How those things got changed, that's how things will get fixed through the same process. And it will be, you know, starting up a little very simple nonprofit organization having a core foundation of goals and beliefs. And this is what we're here for the Ohio sportsman's Alliance, whatever you want to call it and hiring a lobbyist. And literally, literally, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's very doable. 30 or 40 guys could fix Ohio. They could make that state jump. I mean, for management opportunities for everybody for balance age structure, for, all the problems that the passionate hunters complain about, it can be fixed. 
And the same goes, a lot of people are like, no, no way, impossible. No, it's not impossible. Some of these states won't fix, it won't be fixed, but some of them will. This can happen in Michigan. This can happen in Minnesota. It can happen in Wisconsin. I mean, things got done against those states to the hunter's disfavor, and that can be reversed. And there is a process for it. It is not a petition. It's not, it's not getting frustrated about it, being stressed out during gun season, being like, please let it end. Please let it end. Um, nothing like that's going to do it. Uh, getting organized with a group of guys, and I'm going to say it hiring a lobbyist, which is actually very affordable. Hmm. If you can find the right one, it's which is very important. It's just like anything. It's like hiring the right person for a job. It has yeah. to be the right person. If you can do that, it's very effective. And that is how all these special interests are getting the things through that we don't like. Like, oh my gosh. And Iowa just, just was hammered with an onslaught. Eight bills. Eight bills this year that were a disaster. Rifles for turkeys, cross guns, what? um, air cross guns, whatever the heck they were. Um, rifles for more turkeys? outfitter tags, the auction tags. Every landowner in Iowa, which is who owns everything, yeah, gets two tags to auction off to the highest bidder. Holy I got to debate that cow. one at the Capitol. I got to debate that. I mean, at that the one Capitol. right there would it, would a single handedly it would ruin the state. It would ruin the state. That one alone would ruin the state. And so what do they want how, there, Skip? They want more money? They want my, Well, there's a group. There's five to ten guys that are like, hey, uh, we want to be able to hunt there. How can we get this done? They talk to lobbyists, and like, and the lobbyists give them the ideas. And that's how that's wow. how Raven, crosses, uh, Raven Crossbows gets their legislation proposed, too, because they're like, hey, lobbyists, we want to hire you. Okay, we'll take your money. We want crossbows during archery season right now and the lobbyists go can't do it right now why because the, the hunters are going to stop you so they'll say here's what we do though we're gonna we're gonna put five other bills through that are far lesser you know they look great they're, they sound great and they're just little stepping stones it's going to take three years it's going to take an investment but this is how we get there there's a process for it so um Hunters can do the same thing. And why shouldn't hunters do the same thing as, you know, and we're doing this, in my opinion, for good reasons, for right. moral reasons, for yeah. um, biological reasons, you know. Um, and we're, we're t I think hunters across the Midwest are tired of their states that have great potential Sucking. just being ruined every year. Ruined. Mm. I mean, when November 15 hits, when I'm, when I'm in my tree stand in, in Iowa, November 15 hits. I look at, I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. November 15, every deer in Michigan just died. Yeah, same it's with a sad Wisconsin and Missouri and all yeah. of them. Yeah, blitzed. Yeah. yeah, my buddies in Minnesota are like, yeah, I'm out rifle hunting. I'm like, rifle hunting? Yeah. It's early bow season. I got a month left. Yeah. You guys got rifles out already? Those can be, that stuff can be changed. People are like, no way, impossible. It's not. It's not impossible. It can be done, mm -hmm. and this is the process for it. Hmm. I think I read that article this morning. I mean, you see, they're, they're going back and forth on this uh, 
Saturday versus Monday Jesus. start. Like it's Pennsylvania is like it seems like so far in the woods about like whether the gun season should start on Monday. We can't or even Saturday. hunt on Sunday. It's like who who freaking cares? It's terrible here anyway. It's like can't we do something to fix the deer hunting first and then decide what day oh, it starts dude, on? It's been it it's always been something that's just disturbing in the fact that and here's I guess where part of our issue is in this state and several other states I know too is we've got this three-year rule, it seems like, meaning we can't get the data of what happened until three years after to get an average, right? So like if I wanted to say, hey, Skip, uh, two years ago was the first Sunday or three years ago was the first Sunday we could ever hunt with a gun, right? How many deer got killed that Sunday? Well, give me three years and I'll tell you the average. You're telling me the government is inefficient? Seems that way. (laughs) But shouldn't that be my uh, right to know? Like, as a as a licensed holder in the state, as a taxpayer in the state, shouldn't they be able, have to say, like, yeah, Jeremy, here you go. We killed whatever, 9,000 bucks on that day. They should be. They should do that, and you can get that fixed. You, just because government is inefficient, broken, and has poor regulations, by no stretch of the imagination does that mean it has to stay that way. Sure. There are that this is this is how our system is designed. It is designed to evolve, to change, to adapt. And right now there's a lot of places across the Midwest that are degraded, they're poor, they're ran they're they're ran disastrously. And as the citizens of these states, it's almost our duty to figure out ways to improve them. Yeah. And improve them for the new generations. And I want to think I want things to improve in other states. Like I'm talking about Ohio here. I might not ever hunt in Ohio again in my life, but I'd love to see it. If you guys said, man, Hey, guess what, Skip, you know, five years ago we talked and some things have changed. It's not going to go overnight, Sure. but Hey, some things have changed and our hunting's gotten considerably better for everybody. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. You know, Minnesota, I'm never going to, man, how, but to hear that. How cool would that be? I, I, can, that. I can't remember the last time I heard that. It's only gotten okay. worse. Only so, gotten worse. So me, at 16 or 14 when I started hunting to 25 years old, I loved this. I loved it. I was eaten up with it, and I still am. So I think of the kids who are like me that are eaten up with this, that are passionate about it, that are hungry for good quality hunting, yep. for, you know, for just a dream experience, you know. And some of these kids, it's like it's not even the vast majority. It's not even a possibility. Well, that's my duty, and that's what I want to do, and that's what – a lot of other hunters want to do is change the system so we can fix it for these, this younger generation. Mm -hmm. And we have the opportunity right now. And just because it's, it's been flushed down the tubes does not mean mean we cannot fix it because we can, and there's a process to do it. Hmm. Well, the lobbyist thing is, is really interesting. I mean, I I know that Jeremy and I'd love to stay in touch and like, I mean, dude, if you're willing to kind of Show us the I way or show us the model. Absolutely. Yeah, man. We're, Absolutely. Uh, I've, I've learned this process over the last three years and just becoming more involved. And now other states, literally other states are reaching out to me saying, hey, I'm not an expert on this stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I know everything on these things. I, I don't. Um, but I've been in this for 30 years. This is all I do. And I don't have a hidden motive. You know, sure. I just want things better for everybody. So, you know. People can find negative things to comment on, and I see it 
in the hunting industry all the time. People find negativity on anything. This is all positive for me. You know, yeah. this is, there's no hidden motivations. I want to see hunting better across the whole country yep. for well, everybody. And, and, and let's be honest. I mean, there, and there'll be people listening that are going to say this. So we might as well, like, we're not going to make everybody happy, right? There's plenty of guys, absolutely not. there's plenty of crossbow guys listening to this saying, some bitches back at it again, you know? And that's, yeah, just, that guy, it, it, yeah, it, that's just what get, the crossbow lobbyist said to me. Yeah. Like, look at this guy over here. Yeah. Hates crossbows. I'm like, I don't hate crossbows. Yeah, yeah. And the rifle people, we got into it with the Iowa Firearms Coalition. That is there for Second Amendment rights. I'm for the Second Amendment. I'm for it. But all of a sudden, they go out of their lane. And yeah. they say, no, no, no. You need rifles in Iowa for deer hunting. That's what your organization's for? Right. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you're anti-rifle. I'm not anti-rifle. I have rifles. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Yeah. I know deer management. You guys don't, and they don't. Yeah. They don't. They know Second Amendment. Great. I support you with the Second Amendment. I own rifles. I'm not anti-rifle. I'm anti-rifle in deer season. Yeah. yeah. It will ruin this deer season. It will ruin Iowa. We don't want high-power rifles. But, no. you know, their organization says, well, we could sell a lot of rifles. Well, and listen, there's already loopholes, right? I mean, there's hmm. guys killing deer at 800 yards with muzzleloaders in the state of Iowa right now. Yeah, and, and I understand that. And the way it sits right now, it's such a small piece of the pie. Yeah, Is it a problem? Sure. And there's all these loopholes in Iowa, like party hunting or, well, you, landowners can shoot three bucks. I mean, we have problems too. Don't misunderstand. Mm -hmm. Iowa has things that I'm like, it is bad. But um, it's just, it's it's a small percentage of the pie that, that does stuff like that. Now, if you're like, well, a fraction of the pie uses these muzzleloaders that cost five grand or three grand or whatever they cost. And they can shoot out here and they go through all this effort to do it. So let's have it. So everybody does that with high power. Yeah. That's just going to make it worse. Leave it be. Yeah. It's not a huge problem the way it is. There are regulations that are problematic in Iowa, yeah. but I mean, for really in a nutshell for Iowa, just leave us be. Yeah. Leave us mm. alone. Don't touch the regulations. That's really all we're asking for, really. Well, I Just feel, leave us alone. I feel like you guys are kind of a can of gas as it is because of party hunting, because of all the, the multiple buck tags as landowners. If something like, oh, hey, crossbows all the time or whatever it might be comes back into play or like lengthened seasons, you guys have already set a baseline where it is pretty liberal in terms of the way that the season structure is set up. So now you drop that match into the gas can and shit blows up pretty quick. Yeah. And, you know, we've had a lot of problems here and some of it's not regulation um, related, but, and I know you guys can relate to this one, but uh, right north of my farm in 2019, we had an EHD come through and I went with one of the biologists and he said, hey, we're in a pocket right here. Yeah. It's a hundred percent gone like i don't think a single deer made it and then we got into some areas that were 80 percent losses so um this hit a big swath north of me you know lucas county yeah uh warren into monroe yep uh where you guys are talking you mm -hmm. guys are actually timing it where things are finally actually recovering and yeah, that's we, a we big, did that on purpose <laughs> Yeah. It's a big hit for hunters to face like, hey, yeah, yeah I, I've been managing my farm for five years. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited about this hunting season. All of a sudden you go out one day and hey, you're like, oh, I know. It's gone. 
Yeah. Ohio got hit last year pretty it, several of the counties, especially western Ohio, got uh, hammered last year with it. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it, it's it's a bad thing and I mean, I sat there and talked to all the biologists I can talk to. My buddies are um veterinarians. I've got one that works in like a I'm not into this, but they work in like a high fence situation with deer and I just asked them questions about EHD and I've just I've spent just years researching EHD as I have CWD and I don't want to get into that whole can of worms. I don't need to. You guys did a great mm-hmm. episode the other day, but um, obviously two very different issues. But, um, you know, what what EHD has done to Iowa, incredible. And when I meet with a biologist that says, hey, we found a live deer, and I don't quite know why this part is important, but we found a live deer and we were able to do a blood test. So, okay. They said this strain that just hit in 19, this is a new strain in Iowa. We haven't seen this before. That's why it's so devastating. The deer do not have immunity to it. This mm-hmm. is new for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, and back in my early days of starting to learn about EHT, it's like, um, wait, this is new? Yeah, this is new. Yeah. Well, look back at when the first documented case of EHT was. It's, you know, I might be off a little bit, but it's like 1950s. Oh, yeah. You say, well, when's the first documented case of CWD? And I'm not intertwining those two, and I'm not getting mm-hmm. into that debate. But you say, well, that's 1960s. Mm-hmm. Both of these are actually very new. Mm-hmm. And the new strains of EHD and blue tongue, and I think there's seven or eight strains that we see in North America now. Um, these are new. These deer have not experienced these these things yet. And I could get into where do they come from? Why are we seeing them? Sure. Maybe, maybe for another day. But yeah. um, that's a huge problem Iowa's had. It has nothing to do with the regulations, really. Uh, what you didn't see the DNR do here is when you had areas that were wiped out 80%. They didn't reduce the deer quotas. Right. Not at all. Not at all. Now, wouldn't it Wouldn't it make sense to go, hey, that county got ravaged. Yes. Let's drop the, let's drop the quotas down. They didn't do that. Crazy. Wait, Skip, so, are, Skip are you saying that the government's inefficient? <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit, Skip. Well, listen, man, we appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us. I mean, always good to... You know, the, the whole point of this podcast for Jared and I, one, was to talk to other people passionate about whitetails and, and everything about it. But it's also to, to actually put out there in public, again, opinions, but discussions that are around things that we don't hear other people talking about in public. Um, yeah, the, the people you watch, the hunters you watch, I don't want to film my hunts. I don't. I've been asked for decades. I don't want to do it. But the people filming their hunts that have made their their money off of your state or, or Iowa. And when they know there's forces that are working against it, you need to ask those people where they stand on these issues. Sure. Because if they've made their way and made their bed from states like Iowa, they should be doing at least a few things to say, Hey guys, you know, I, it, they're set. I yeah. Mean, they're set financially. They're set with their ground, but they should at least be able to say, Hey guys, going to make you aware of some things that are going on where that are ruining my state. And, the people viewing those those hunters and and those groups need to be kind of holding their feet to the fire and asking them where do you stand on these issues? Yeah, yeah. very important because they have a big microphone. I, I definitely sense Skip just from the people that we've talked to that, that there is like a there's a growing unrest with the way that these states are being run. You know whether it's o- Ohio or Iowa or like there's kind there's there's quite a few hunters out there I think that are frustrated with like the, the public land system the lack of access that they have the liberalization of seasons they're just like we are you know lacking I think direction and structure for how to you know approach the states with these issues 
you know, and I think you've kind of given us a, a taste of maybe the direction we can go with that. There's a direction to go. There's solutions yeah. here. Um, the future is good. The future is positive. This younger generation is very well connected and educated on these issues far better than what is in a rearview mirror with our people, my folks age and so on. So um, there's some very good things that will be happening here. Uh, not, not maybe for everybody in every state, but um, I mean, I'm the last person on earth that's going to be Debbie Downer here. I mean, there's some threats and there's some issues and I'm, I'm a fighter, a positive fighter, a fighter with a smile on my face, but the, the future is bright and we have a path to do it now. And I mean, it's, it's, probably more of a more complex of a discussion than we've got into, but not a lot more. I mean, there, there is a very viable path across the Midwest for any one of these states and any group of hunters to improve the situation they're sitting in right now. And awesome. the future's bright. Good to hear it. All right, man. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, and talking with us, and we'll be sure to catch yeah. up with Hope you. Hope it won't be the last time, Skip. You're, well, you're yeah. welcome back anytime, man. Deal, man. Thanks for having me. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately, that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Southcam.com. Check them out. And yeah. awesome. Yeah. No, it was really good. Yeah. Skip's a super guy and, and obviously passionate. It's cool to kind of hear those, um, you know, rally cries almost in, in some of those areas. And I know there's going to be people listening to this who are, you know, inevitably going to have things to say or be pissed off about like, don't change this. Or we, not everybody wants to kill giant bucks and that, cause it's going to happen. That's a lie. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't, I call that bullshit. I don't say that necessarily because I mean, obviously people can be happy killing just a good buck or whatever, but you know, if you were given the chance to kill bigger bucks or older bucks, would you not be happy about that? And there are people that will say, no, it doesn't matter to me. And, well, it's, and it's not like, just yeah. bigger bucks. I mean, I, th I thought Skip did a good job of saying, I mean, that's a, that's a, a biologically balanced, balanced herd. You know, it should have, it should have mature age class yep. animals in it. You know, whether you want to hunt them or not is, is, you know, for you to decide, but I agree. Yeah. I mean, dude, honestly, pretty, pretty inspiring. You know what I mean? To hear somebody take an action at a, at a, uh, like on, on a political level, you know, to actually like address some of the, the things that are being proposed and like to, it seems like we've talked so much about like deer hunting getting worse. Like it just, sure. it's just like, and it's not like, well, how do you fix it? And you know, how do guys like us or guys listening that, how do you individually, I mean, the solution for a lot of us is, oh, we just try to make our properties better or whatever. Yeah, we insulate and, and you know, yeah. but again, deer have no boundaries. They're not, they can go off our property. And so they're not, we can't protect them, you know, and it's. Well, and also that's what, you know, it turns it into a rich man's sport because it's sure. like, well, who can afford land to insulate? I thought, I thought he made it a really good point there and that these opportunistic 
uh, laws and bills and regulations that are being put forth to hopefully apply more opportunity to hunters are really creating a much more, you know, restrictive access um, response because immediately the response for guys who live and breathe deer hunting are, well, shit, man, we got to lock up everything we can because they're going to ruin this for us. Whereas their thought is, oh, we're just going to make it so much more liberal and opportunities everywhere. And immediately those people may have different weapons to use, longer seasons, bag limits, but they got nowhere to hunt. There's nowhere to go. Right. Or you go to the already overexploited public land. That's not going to be a successful trip. And so those people fall off. And so op open opportunity, open opportunity is actually losing hunters, right? It is working against the whole R3 program. And this is where like, I don't know if people are sitting there and, and I, I don't say this to be mean, but I do think that this is a direct result of putting people in charge of game and fish laws who are not hunters or fishermen. Yeah. hundred percent. If you don't understand how hunting works and you don't understand the domino effect and you just think, well, if I do this, there's more opportunity. There's, there's more chances for people to hunt. And you then scratch your head. Why hunting numbers are going to fall off the face of the earth. You're an idiot. Well, and, or just uninformed, you know what I mean? I think so. So this guy's, or skips taking a stance of like, uh, you know, hiring a lot, hiring somebody to be speaking to the politicians, like on behalf mm -hmm. of, of hunters, you know, and admittedly, like, I guess all of us would probably say like, Oh, I didn't know we needed to do that. Like, you know, I thought like, uh, well, I mean, he thought the game commission did this. And in certain cases, the game commission does change. Like, I think in a bag limit situation, the game commission changes those. However, in like a Sunday hunting situation, that's on the legislator here in the state of Pennsylvania and a lot of the states. And I know, um, the game commission, when we had them on addressed it, they call them these kind of super agencies, right? These DNR super agencies. It is the legislature that is making all the rules the whole way down. Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania isn't what like that, although some things are greatly influenced by the legislature that are not under the control of game or fish commission. Well, that's when we talked to, you know, Brian Burns, the yep. PA game, uh, and I asked him about, like, the, uh, how did crossbows come about? Yep. And he basically pointed at, like, the legislature that... Uh, Changed the law of what defined archery equipment. That defined crossbows as archery equipment and yep. he's like yes yeah, you know our hands are clean basically and i yep. was like what because <laughs> they have an archery season they can't infect that and this is where again no knock to the state legislature you don't know what the hell you're doing like you're being lobbied to to do something that you think and you're not consulting an agency in that format to say hey how's this going to affect our deer numbers or anything like that yeah well and you know honestly they're probably looking at it just from a from a general perspective and you know, hunters, we're, ju we're just one group, right? And so, like, I, I mean, I'll take some of the blame of, like, and honestly, I think it's it's not out of laziness, right? Like, we just didn't, do, we don't know, like, how to have influence in these areas. <laughs> I don't think um, in a lot of these cases, we talked about this with Mike Yoder, but they don't want you to know, right? The, well, these that definitely bills, seems like the case. These bills and these things that are going to, to change law... You'll have public opinion periods. Those those meetings don't matter. I'm right. sorry, they don't. I know that. It happens only at the floor where the law is being changed. And they don't want you to know because they don't want it to be stirred. They've already have a pathway. The lobbyists have a pathway. They're not going to go out there and market it on the news or on Facebook and say, hey, guys, just so you know, SB, state bill, blah, 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 is going through and it's doing this. No, they don't want you to know that. Yeah. And that's not just in hunting. That's in everyday life. <laughs>
of politics, right? right? That, that even though they are to represent us, the constituents, they're there to make the decision. Basically, they're there to represent that they know what's best for us. That is where the opposition of government interaction and engagement and influence is too much, in my opinion, on a lot of things. Mm. One person supposed to represent this entire section of people and know what's best for them? No. Yeah. So to your point earlier, like, man, if we did a petition on this, get all these signatures, then what? Nothing. Doesn't do anything. Seems like nothing. Does nothing. You know, it, it literally is to the point of hiring a lobbyist to go on the floor to make these decisions. At any given time, you know, if you're really defensive of your state or of Whitetail, and maybe it's a maybe it's a national thing, right? Maybe it's a group of of lobbyists who work multiple states on behalf of the Whitetail side that essentially you're you know, a group is paying for to say, hey, our goal is to make sure that this resource continues to thrive, that it biologically it's a balanced aid structure, and that we're preventing things like disease and things like that from ruining hunting and everything else. Yeah. And you that group is out there lobbying for this stuff. And in some cases, you know, you're gonna win some battles. In some cases, you're gonna lose some battles. But I would judge right now that in a lot of these states, there are things happening that Shit, as deer hunters, we have no idea that they're getting passed. All of a sudden, we get it the the booklet, and we're like, "When the hell did this become a law?" Yeah. Case in point: cameras, cell cameras in Kansas. Yeah. What? All of a sudden, it was like, "Hey, these are illegal." Yeah. And on public, what? what Who voted for that? Yeah. When did did you get asked about this? Like, I hunt there a lot. Did you? No. Right. Yeah, man. We uh, we need to organize for sure. And that's where, again, I know we've talked about it, and I know <clears throat> even with this, people are going to say, oh, you're picking on crossbow hunters. Okay, cool. If there is a time and a place for a, a, a united front, it's in some of these spaces. Now, there will be differences of opinions. Gun hunters will want gun seasons in the rut. Crossbow hunters will want crossbow in archery season. Uh, some people may want baiting. Uh, so there will obviously be yeah. odd men out in the group. Again... That's part of it. There's a common focus here, which is we all want to be able to kill deer. We all want to be able to hunt deer, and we all want to be able to be successful and enjoy hunting. That's the commonality. Now, all these things off of it, we've got to come to mutual agreements on. Yeah. You know? Well, and just do just because you have done one thing a certain way doesn't mean that like that's that's the way it has to be forever. Like just because you've always been a gun hunter. Sure. Right. And you're if you're feeling ousted by because I can't hunt the full season, like you're allowed to to buy a bow and, and hunt during the archery season, right? Yeah. And so on and so forth. And yeah, just like I may not, I may buy a tag to be able to hunt during gun season, but I might not hunt gun season because right. that's my choice. I don't want to. I want to hunt with a bow. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely we'll take some consideration after. I mean, I've, I've got a lot to you know think about what Skip said, you know. And the end goal is that we all want to continue to hunt deer for the long term here. And it, if and we anything, want it to get better. Well, but if anything, it should scare you the fact that a couple lobbyists can walk into a Senate floor and change multiple bill bills that will completely ruin hunting as we know it. And, and you it won't had, be the first time it's happened, dude. Like, look at, you know, look at what happened to Michigan with the introduction of crossbows. Look at a lot of these northeastern states, dude. It's like we're almost like too far gone. Yeah. Um, it, it's not too late to save some of our good states and, and make some of some of these northeastern states, you know, better than they are now. Yep. So. Anyways, that's all we got for you this week. Let that stir. Sit on it. Understand it. 
talk about it. Until next week. See ya. Later. It's take me. Oh.